Okay, come down. Time to worship. Ready? Go for it. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Till the greatest treasure remain for those who gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all our heart and soul, mind, soul, and strength, we gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come, 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 come. You guys can be seated. I shushed him. <laughs> Computer's misbehaving. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word that they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter the rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And he, For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. 
Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying, Through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your patience and the mercy that you have shown through the ages. That though we are a sinful and disobedient lot, your grace and your mercy covers By the work of Christ, we are healed, and by the power of your Spirit, we are upheld. Lord, strengthen us that we would walk faithfully, diligently resting from our labors in you, and striving forward to enter into a kingdom that is glorified by your presence and your construction. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There there is a Jesus, God's own son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done when I stand in glory I will see his face and there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done. There is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for leaving us your Son. And leaving us 
Sunday school, too. I know it. <laughs> Somebody didn't turn their phone on silent. Well, the best part about that is everybody else in the room goes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody me. starts checking. I've always said I have a soft spot for that because the first sermon I ever preached in a church, right in the middle of it, phone goes off. It was. And she, the best part, she's just like looking around like, <laughs> the, the saving grace was that she didn't curse when it went off. Because if you had asked me what she would have done if her phone went off in the middle of service, <laughs> she just cursed out loud. I could just see that. Uh, you had to know my mother. She was an interesting person. You can't imagine that, could you? <laughs> All right, couple of things. Mike survived. <laughs> I'll go ahead and warn you. I asked Jan how he was doing, and she said, we're not talking about that. <laughs> I said, that sounds like my theory on health, which is, I said a while back, I said, if I just don't go to the doctor, they can't find anything wrong with me. That's so, one way of doing it. Exactly. That's my new theory, and so that's my plan, and I'm sticking to it. So, a <laughs> um, couple of things, if you would continue uh, in prayer. Uh, Sam and Shelby are doing all right. It's just Sam can't go any real length of time with any energy. And he's a little annoyed by that. And I told Shelby, I said, well, he's 85, and he had heart surgery, and he had COVID, and <laughs> sometimes you just have to be 85 years old, and it's okay to be 85 years old. The batteries don't charge as fast. Exactly. Now, I can tell that to Shelby. I'm trusting Shelby to tell that to Sam, because <laughs> I know if I told that to Sam, you wouldn't listen to me, so you don't know anything about that, right, Jan? <laughs> So if you'd be, just remember them in your prayers, we'd appreciate it. Also, if you'd be praying for uh, Mike and Jan's granddaughter, Olivia, um, having issues, went to the doctor, and they're going, well, it's either effects from having COVID, you know, issues in the joints, or it's possible it's rheumatoid arthritis, which if you are diagnosed typically with rheumatoid arthritis, late teens, early 20s is about the time that it would come in. So if you'd be in prayer for Olivia, let's hope for effects from COVID because rheumatoid arthritis is a nightmare. It's gotten better with treatments for it, but it's still not fun. So be in prayer for Olivia. We would appreciate it. Um, business meeting today, so stick around. Just a couple of things we've got to figure out. Um, I think there is actually one thing we have to vote on if I remember the sheet correctly. I think so. So, yeah, we have to vote. You get to vote on something. <laughs> and I think it has to do with money. I have to remember. This is why I put things on sheets because I can't remember them all. So there you go. Anything else I am forgetting? Larry, my brain just went sideways. What's going on? Bill. Thank I'm like, what did Larry do? And Larry's like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now that makes sense. Yes, Bill is not here. Bill is sick this morning. He was doing well until Denny called him on Friday. So we're blaming Denny. Yeah, that's it. That's Denny his called story. him. It's all Denny's fault. So it's Kidney stones, kidney infection, bladder infection, somewhere in that ballpark. So you know how everything kind of connects in there. So it's one of those issues. Just miserable today. Does he have an appointment yet, or is he hoping to get seen tomorrow? I think he's going. if he's not any better, he's going back tomorrow. Okay, so hopefully they get that figured out, get him on the right track, and going from there. 
tis the time right now. It just seems like more... Am I the only person thinking that we're maybe the medication we're all handing out, that infections seemingly are lasting longer? Mm-hmm. Like Cameron had strep for like six months, it felt like. I know Becca had it for two months. I think it's that he didn't want to work out the lead. <laughs> you, had, you were making him do extra today. That's what it was. All right. So yeah, me in prayer for Bill. Thank you for reminding me. See, he's he's not in front of me, and so it's not in the brain there. Anything else I'm forgetting? Going once, going twice. All right. What Jewish group did Paul belong to before his conversion? Now, who did their homework? Okay, why is that important? Bert's <laughs> like, I read it. Didn't mean I understood it. <laughs> Just give me a Sunday school answer. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that a song when you don't know what to say? <laughs> that is actually a song. Um, why pick a Pharisee to carry the message of the gospel to the Gentiles? It sounds counterintuitive. Unless you're trying to carry, like, for those of you that were just in my Sunday school class, you understand why this is so important. If, unless you're trying to make sense of an applicable law from beginning to end, to understand it rightly, the first step in that is understanding what? How does the law function in its context as faithful Israelite believers? Now, with that, a Pharisee would be a good person to start with. A Pharisee among Pharisees. But the Pharisees had altered the system. The Pharisees had lost the point. Yes, they had. But a redeemed Pharisee with the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God, guided by his hand, will now apply it rightly, take that deep, rich theological tradition of the Old Testament, and be able to go into a world that doesn't know it and proclaim it rightly and clearly welcome to the letters of the new testament that paul writes the most systematic explanations of how the law functions in romans in corinthians refuting bad function of the law in galatians exhortation to holy living in ephesians and colossians this is the fruit of a saved pharisee seeing the law rightly in the old testament and applying it in the context of christ even the passage we read this morning from hebrews i'm dying on this hill hebrews is a sermon given by Paul. That's why I even read one of the passages. Did it ever jump out at you as odd if you ever read Hebrews when I read it this morning? It says, where somewhere it says, does that sound like somebody writing a letter? No. Mm. That sounds like what I do when I tell you to read. It's in Ephesians somewhere. Read Ephesians. It'll it'll do do you good. good. (laughs) It says somewhere, and then he quotes a Bible verse. That's a speech. I think Luke's writing it down while Paul's talking, and that's why you get good Pauline theology, but it doesn't read like Paul. Even there, though, what's he doing? Hebrews systematically walking through and applying the old covenant laws, the temple system, the um, the sacrificial system, and applying it rightly and fulfilled in Christ. So you want a good, robust understanding of the connection of the Testaments? Read Paul. It'll do you good. All right. Don't say it out loud. Oh, oh, question, question. Go ahead. Oh. Okay. Okay, we forgot something. That's fine. Don't, don't. Shh. To restore the Red Sea to its place, what did Moses stretch over the water? The children are the worst in the bunch. You guys are behaving like children back there. (laughs) Now, I'm even acknowledging that you should know this. This is a pop quiz to make sure you're paying attention since we're preaching through Exodus. Okay? But there's actual good reason. So figure out why why God would do this this way. All right, what did I forget, Elena? Oh, thank you. That is important. It's in your bulletin, right? I didn't say that. Read your bulletin. It'll do you good. <laughs> Let's see. Today is the... Tr-
He has been threatening on Wednesdays during men's Bible study to do that for two months. <laughs> and he finally got it. I told you, I, I told you I'd get it in there. <laughs> I moved my foot at that time and I thought it was me doing it. <laughs> uh, two shows twice a week, folks. Make sure to try the veal and tip your waitress. Oh, my goodness. It. Yes. Yes. The calendar is extended because it is that time of year. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. But it is also, since it's the last Sunday of the month, it is our Fellowship Sunday. So we are encouraging you, bring a dish. We'll have food. We'll meet after the service and have lunch. So bring something you can share. I don't care what it is. We have yet to run out of food. So we will be good. Bring a dish. Fun will be had by all. And that means first Sunday of April, we'll have communion. And that is also Easter Sunday. So this is our last Sunday in Exodus for two weeks because we're doing Palm Sunday next week and then Easter Sunday. We're doing something fun, and then we'll get back to the grind of Exodus. So you have been warned. So read your bulletin. Your calendar is in there. It will do you excellent very well. Oh, and on behalf of the Pregnancy Care Center of Rockford, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Cameron got the stuff delivered, and the woman goes, well, do you need help? And she goes, well, I've got about six boxes of stuff. And the woman goes, six? Help showed up to unload things. So they, she goes, most people, when they show up, they have like a basket or a grocery bag full of stuff. So they, they were thrilled. So just so you know. They were happy. They were ecstatic. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. They will put it to very good use. All right. Anything else? Going once, going twice. Oh, oh, I see that hand. Oh, yes, we should. Okay, hold on. Okay. Okay, <laughs> yes, thank you. April 4th is Easter Sunday. April 2nd is Good Friday, 7 o'clock service here if you'd like to show up a little bit beforehand there might be coffee if you behave yourselves so <laughs> does it see look elaine is ahead of me see so finger food stuff at six o'clock service at seven i promise you we won't be complex elaine is she probably does this is you know who i'm blaming for this i'm blaming Vern. he was asking questions in sunday school <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> T-shirts to be processed soon. Exactly. So, yes, thank you. Again, I, read your bulletin. Don't be like me. Read your bulletin before the service starts. Yes, um, as we've done in years past for Christmas Eve and for Good Friday, we won't have a terribly complicated or long service, but we'll probably have about 30, 45 minute service on Good Friday. Um, I enjoyed last year's. It was fun. Vern even said he liked it. So be like Vern. Enjoy the Good Friday service. <laughs> So, yes, uh, 6 o'clock, we'll have some snacks and things. If you can't make it then, you just want to be here for the service, 7 o'clock on Good Friday. It's Friday. Good Friday service on Friday. So, there you go. All right. Thank you. Now, if, read your bulletin. Read my bulletin. <laughs> Check everything out. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop before I fry whatever brain cells I have left because we have a sermon later, and I need some of those brain cells to function during that time. So, I'm going to get out of the way so we can continue on with music. Yes. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? 
Are you garnet spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed, Are you washed in, the blood, in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are you garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh with your robes, be white, pure and white in the blood of the Lamb. Will your soul be ready for the mansion bride and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood? In the blood. In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are you garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Oh, yeah. One fine morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. To a home on God's palatial shores, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Life is grown, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars and flown, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Yeah, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away.
Mr. Diddy. All right, I didn't bring snacks this week, so you're on your own. <laughs> no, no, you're on your own. No snacks. It wasn't gluten free. You're the only one who wants to be gluten free around here. <laughs> All righty then. Let's see. I've warned you our last Sunday in Exodus for two whole weeks. I think you'll make it, though. It'll be all right. All right. Recap so that we can make sure we understand this as we go. Quail have landed. Manna has fallen. People have been provided for by God. It is time to make sure you take the sledgehammer of God and really hammer this message home. So think of today like the uh, the old Golden Corral frying pan commercial. You know, yeah, bing, get you going. So, oh, this just again a warning. This is going to be an odd day because we're going to have to relocate some of you guys. This is the whole room is just like all over here again. We were doing better the last couple of weeks, but. Daryl showers, I know it, right? I mean, you showered. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> Kelly's like, I gotcha. <laughs> there you go. So, it is time, though, to get this message of the provision of God really sunk in for the Israelites. Now, if you would like to understand part of the breakdown of Israel's world and part world and part of the breakdown of our world. Understand the breakdown of sufficiency. It is a biblical doctrine we do not discuss nearly enough, and that's probably my fault, but I can only give you what we get through in a text, so some weeks we'll get it more than others. Sufficiency of Scripture, the Bible is enough. The sufficiency of God's grace, His mercy is enough. The sufficiency of His provision, what He grants His children, is enough. It will not satisfy the lust of the heart, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, but it will satisfy the soul that is resting in him. And there is a difference between those two things. If you miss that, you will not understand where Israel has gone wrong, and if you miss that, you will not understand why our world is in the tailspin that it seemingly is day in and day out. It is an issue of sufficiency. So. Let's dive into the fruit, see the dissatisfaction, and learn something. Sound like fun? All right. Exodus 16, 22 through 36. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? 
See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer full of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land, and they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. There you go, in case you were ever wondering. <laughs> I'm not reading that description again of how we figure out how much an omer is. That was, yeah, that was that was frightening. It's actually, uh, an omer is about two quarts, yeah, give or take two quarts. It's a pile of food. All right, back to the beginning. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. Remember, this is as ordered. It's not like this verse just pops out of nowhere. If you go back to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out, gather a day's portion every day, and that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Notice that. What is going on here? Dual functions here. We have a Sabbath observance, and we also have a test, a warning, a trial for the people. Now, they actually gathered double on the sixth day, to which if you had a soundtrack for your Bible reading, this is the part where the Hallelujah Chorus would break out, because they got one right. You're like, yay, go team. They did something they were told to do. It won't last long. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, put aside to be kept until morning. All right, question. Sabbath? What's a Sabbath? Now, we will know Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I am not a mathematical genius, but I know some things about numbers. One of the things I know is that chapter 20 comes after chapter 16. So have we been given that commandment yet? No. So we have to have our understanding of what a Sabbath is come from before chapter 20. Yes. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and, created and made. So, this is a seventh day, a holy day unto the Lord, set aside for humanity. That is what a Sabbath is. We have a more important question to ask. Why is a Sabbath? Remember, I don't care what, I care what. Why and how? Genesis chapter 5. 
Nobody ever reads Genesis chapter 5. Read Genesis chapter 5, it'll do you good. Nobody reads Genesis chapter 5 because it's a genealogy, and we all go, we all remember the King James Sunday School and go, begat, 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 begat. I know, I know that name. Okay, we'll start reading again. See, you're laughing because you know you did it. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Remember the breakdown of life in the garden. See, we typically only see the effects of sin as individual. Because let's be honest, there are massive individual effects of sin. You know you better than I know you. You know what your problems are. But these effects are global in nature. So Eve is cursed. The serpent is cursed. Adam is cursed. The ground is cursed. Everything is cursed. That's why Romans 8 tells you that the creation is itself groaning, waiting for the day of redemption, waiting for the curse to be lifted. Part of that is a reminder of life outside of Eden. Remember, what is Eden supposed to be? Heaven on earth, right? It's a garden. It's, it's perfect. I have provision. Yeah, all of these great things. And I have God. I have provision. Everything that I need. Mm, catch that. In my sin, it is all gone. Now, if you have disobeyed the authority of all creation, which is what God, who and what God is, if you have disobeyed that, and God is now seeking to demonstrate the folly of your disobedience. What should he do to your life thus far, or from that point forward? Sunshine, lollipops, and daisies. No. <laughs> yes! That's the reaction I go for in at least one person a week. Why doesn't God just give us all these wonderful things and you know, puffy little clouds and fluffy little puppies and everything is just amazing? Because we're living in a world under sin. It's supposed to be difficult. It is supposed to drive you to your knees before God, to drive you away from satisfaction and resting in your labors here. That is why every example you have in scripture of someone who goes, you know, this place has gotten pretty good. What happens immediately? Yeah, it's like backhand of Jesus. You're like, oh, no, you don't. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, what's, what causes the curse to fall on him? looks out on all that he's done, and it's like, I did pretty doggone good, didn't I? Wham! Out of my mind, seven years in the wilderness. David, conquering all his enemies, ushering in peace to the kingdom, looking around, going, you know, I think it's time I count up all this stuff that I've figured out. Here comes the curse from heaven. Parable of Jesus in the New Testament, the successful farmer. He's got all this stuff. He's brought everything in. I've got so much stuff accumulated, I don't even have storehouses to put it in. I know what I'll do. I'll build more storehouses. He builds them. He puts all this stuff away, and he goes, now. My soul is at rest. Dead. That night. Your very soul is required from you. Burns like, I'm twitching over here. Quit talking about farmers. <laughs> because what are they doing? They are getting their rest. Their satisfaction in this world. It was never meant to be like this. The reason why you should read Genesis 5, it is, it is the family. The only one. So imagine, Adam and Eve have, you know, you, you, you read, Ad, Adam lived X number of years, and he, had, he was the father of Seth. Because remember, Cain is off running around, you know, under judgment. Abel has been killed. He has Seth. But you always list that, and he had other sons and daughters. Everyone in Genesis 5 has 
other sons and daughters. And we follow how many of them? One. And we go generation after generation after generation after generation over a thousand years. And you know what we find out? You get how many families that are born in the boat? They're it. They are the family seeking their rest and their satisfaction, not in this world, but in God. That is the purpose of Sabbath rest. It is gospel-focused, meant to drive you away from the toil, hardship, and difficulties of this life and to a place of peace, security, and comfort in Christ. That's the goal. This is why... Daryl got it this morning in Sunday school. Matthew 11. This is why the call to Jesus. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a gospel call. Remember, that is not a call to nothingness. Do not, please. Please, please, do not think Sabbath is, we did all the work on Friday, sundown hits, we sit on our butts and stare at the wall until Saturday night when the Sabbath is lifted. It's just nothingness. That is not the purpose of Sabbath. Even Jesus tells you, you are weary and heavy laden. Here's a nice, easy, light burden and yoke. All right, you remember what a yoke is? We're not talking about an egg. We're talking about the thing around the neck of a draft animal. But it's light and it's easy. This is what Christ gives you. Meaning, your life of rest in God is not a life of rest from your labors. You still have work to do. You are saved from sin to godly living in God's kingdom. This is why you are told to walk. This is why you are told to proclaim. This is why you are told to pray. This is why you are told to disciple. You are called from sin to godliness. True now was true then. So again, we've used the, used the example a couple of weeks ago. I may have mentioned this this morning. Vern had cows for years and years and years. Is there a day in the winter you can't get up and go check to make sure the water trough didn't freeze? No, you've got to do that. But it's my day off. Cows still need water on your day off. So either you got to do it or somebody else that you've asked to has got to go do it. There are just things that had to be done. And in Israel, you did this. You, you still looked out the window, and if the sheep were getting out of the pen, you know what you did on the Sabbath? You went and got them out of the pen. If a rainstorm hits and your crops are being flooded out, what do you do? You go try to do something. You try to you know, put a fence. There are things that you do. The goal of the Sabbath is not, all right, put my feet up, sit in my good chair, got my manna bread, got my tasty beverage. Life is good. I'm going to sit here until Sunday. Nobody bother me. That's not Sabbath rest. That's lazy rest. Sabbath rest is I am resting in godliness i am resting in god sabbath rest is you know what walk away from the fields and trust god if there doesn't have to be done today you know when it can be done tomorrow so you know what you can do today hey those those little things that are running around your house that that you created you might want to disciple those you might want to teach them you might want to instruct them you know that neighbor that you don't see except to wave at when you're both walking out to your fields you might want to go say hi to them you might want to talk to them. You want to make sure they're doing okay. You know that old widow lady down the street that you never think about? Guess what you now got time to do? Yeah, I now got time to think about that. I can actually be 
a part of the community that God has made me for, placed me in, so that I can be a disciple, make a disciple. That is rest. Now, everything I just described, if you did that all day, how are you going to feel at the end of the day? (laughs) It's a day, but it is a day in service to God. And that's the difference between worldly satisfaction and godly satisfaction. That's what the Sabbath is calling you to. It is gospel-focused. It is not resting from doing stuff. It is resting from being satisfied in and from the world. There's a difference. Christian, welcome to how you're called to live, day in and day out. Rest from your labors. The labors that do what? That feed my flesh. That spur my desires in sinfulness. That spur my desires towards the things of this world. And do what? Rest in the work of Christ. Know that my sin is covered. Know that Satan is defeated. Know that my spirit is secure in God and that I can walk in sanctification because that is the promise that Christ has provided to me. That's what I walk to. And again, if I actually do that during the day, how am I going to feel at the end of it? I did something that day, didn't I? But there is a satisfaction, not in this place, but in God. And that's the difference. So, off the soapbox. With that said, let's follow through the rest of this. Verse 24. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Hey, we got two right. We, we, we gathered like we were supposed to, and we did what we were supposed to do. Now, I made the point last week, and this is proof of the point that I made last week, that God punished Israel by bringing the maggots and the worms into the manna that they had set aside. Remember, they all, they didn't, they didn't, eat it all. They, they were worried about what they were going to get the next day, so they set some of it aside, and they woke up the next morning, you got to dump the jar out. This is proof, because when they set it aside this day, what didn't happen? No worms, no maggots, no foul smell, no nothing, which means God made that manna that they set aside on Thursday or Wednesday or whatever day they set it aside. God purposely made it rot in their kitchen. Why? Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Because you should be doing what? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Why can't I be wise in my own eyes? Proverbs 14. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. This is rest. Not in yourself not in your wisdom. That's why I joke with you guys about the trivia question. This is not so you can sit there and be like, I know that one. Look, enjoy that you know the answer. That's part of the the common grace that God gives us. But the point is not that we can sit there and go, I got that one right. It's so that you do the little homework section so that you are growing in sanctification and godliness. It is not just to put knowledge into your head, but to put wisdom into your head. Wisdom and understanding and applying the scriptures so that you will walk differently in this world. Same thing here with the manna. This is, if you don't do it the way I told you, it will end badly. If you do it the way that I told you, it will end well. What's the lesson? Don't do what I think is good. Do what God thinks is good, which is one of the dumbest sentences I ever have to say out loud. Like, my ideas are bad and his ideas are good. Well, duh. He's God. You're not. Follow him. And I say it like that because that sounds easy. So how come we keep following sin? <laughs> you see the problem? Because we lie to ourselves and we look at it and go, but, but, but. And sin's over here going, it's not that bad. It'll be okay. See, see it's not that bad. It'll be, wait a minute. Ah! That should be the reaction of godly living. 
this continues. Moses said, 25, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. He continues, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. We've said it now twice. We've really said it three times. Now, of all the burdens and yokes that God could put upon the people, not going out into the field to pick the magic dew bread should be something easy to follow, right? It'll be there on Friday. It won't be there on Saturday. Don't go out to the field on Saturday. So what you're telling me is it won't be there on Saturday. You want me to stay home? Yes! Easy burden, right? Yeah, you would think that. This is why Jeremiah can say things like, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. You will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. So I set a watchman over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. They said, We won't listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I'm bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. For what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba, sweet cane from the distant land? Your burnt offerings are no longer acceptable, and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. People like to think that there's two different salvations going on in the Old Testament. If you listen to secular scholars, there's the stuff that Moses is writing about in the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then there's the prophets coming in with all this grace talk and getting away from sacrifices. Same message. If you want to understand your prophetic message, I think I've said this three weeks in a row now, I'm going to say it again, understand the biblical story of redemption specifically found, explained in Exodus. Because in Exodus, you get a beautiful picture of a powerful, almighty God redeeming his people from the unconquerable enemy that they cannot hope to rise up against and making them promises of a future land and kingdom and then providing for them as they travel to this kingdom and them going, I want to go home. I'm hungry. There's no meat. Where's my garlic? I throw that at winning from a Sunday school class. That's what, of all my complaints, I am never getting over that complaint to Moses. In Egypt, we had cucumbers and garlic. What? I, you know you are a broken and sinful people when you're pining for cucumbers and garlic. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Becca, our vegetarian, is even like, that's just weird. <laughs> Becca's like, I might try this recipe. So do you spread the garlic? <laughs> Do you shred it? How does this work? No. What's going on here? This is why the prophets can call Israel like they do. They're not calling them back to rote memorization. They're not calling them back to, hey, do this or else. They're calling them back to a change of heart, a change of soul, a change of spirit that leads to a change of mind, which then leads to a change of action. What I have just described to you is the fruit of the gospel at work. People don't come in and we go, you need to do better before we'll do anything for you. No, we pray, we evangelize, we disciple. You do better not so that God will love you. You do better because he has already loved you in Christ. Your sin is covered, the spirit has been provided, and you are walking differently because you desire differently. The difference between law living and gospel living. You don't clean up your act so that you can get into heaven one day. Your act is cleaned by God because he is preparing you for heaven one day. 
There's a difference between those two things. And the example of that is Israel. What is God doing with these people? He is refining them, purifying them. This is why he leads them three days in the wilderness out into the middle of nowhere. The point was that they'll walk for three days and go, you know, I haven't seen any water or good food in a couple of days. Where are we going? Well, this is where God said to walk. Therefore, what should we do? Do you really think God is walking you out into the middle of the desert to kill you? If you do, you know who you don't know? You don't know God. You have not understood. You have not seen his mercy and his grace. This is why Romans 2 talks about the kindness of the Lord leading you to repentance. This is why 1 Peter 2 talks about you craving the word if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Because you have seen his mercy, you have seen his grace, you have experienced his love. Therefore, you're going, where do you want me to go? Ooh, that like fiery pit thing? You want me to walk through there? Okay, I'm, go- I'm in. I'm in. Because no matter what happens, what have I got? I've got him. I'm not satisfied here. I'm satisfied in his kingdom. I'm not satisfied with my pleasures and my rest here. I'm satisfied with my pleasures and my rest in godliness. That's the lesson that's being walked through. This, again, is the difficulty of life. We talked about the difficulty of sufficiency. We don't rest here because we tell ourselves, well, there's got to be more than this. I got really bad news for you. <laughs> There's not more than this. This is it. Oh, just had terrible, bad 80s music pop into my head, and I will spare you that one. Yeah, Huey Lewis just showed up in my brain, and I'm frightened. Quick aside, give you an idea how, how broken my brain is musically. I am making a salad yesterday. Making a salad. I'm cutting lettuce measuring out some shredded cheddar cheese. I'm doing everything for a salad. And I look at Cameron and go, you will not believe the commercial that just popped into my head. And she goes, really? So she starts guessing. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm sitting here cutting a salad and my brain is going, give your breath long lasting freshness with Big Red. I haven't heard that commercial in 30 years. (laughs) That pops into my head while I'm making a salad on the counter. So when I joke about songs just randomly popping in my head, all the time, all the time. So I will spare you. Sufficiency, sufficiency of scripture. This is one of the hallmarks of the Reformation, what we call sola scriptura. Okay, Latin lesson of the day, you ready? What we call the five solas of the Reformation, the reason they're called five solas is because the, the, the educational language of medieval Europe was Latin. If you went to college, you learned Latin. If you wanted to write something that everybody could read it, you wrote it in. Latin, because whether you spoke German, French, Italian, English, whether you had some, you know, Norwegian accent, whatever it may be, if you were going to be, uh, if you were going to operate in academia, you did Latin. So if I wrote it in Latin, everybody could read it. So when we gave the battle cry of the Reformation, they gave it obviously in Latin. So sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, sola scriptura, sola deo gloria. There you go. What it is is an explanation of Christian living. Sola gratia, you are saved by grace alone. Sola fide, through faith alone. Solus Christus, by Christ alone. Sola scriptura, as revealed in scripture alone. Sola Deo gloria, gloria, for the glory of God alone. That's a gospel formulation. How many times have you said, well, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ? How do you know that? They put it in my book. Why is that done like that? Because that is how God is honored. That's the Reformation. The world rejects that. Therefore, they reject the standard of authority given to us in the word. Therefore, they have rejected the sufficient provision of God. Therefore, 
they are lost in their sins, wandering in their lusts, and they are rejecting the sufficient provision of God in every other avenue of life. Common grace is removed. We've talked about this a thousand times. The old example is a rising tide raises how many of the boats? It raises all of them. Welcome to a Christian worldview in a, in a culture. I mean, we joke. You'll, you'll be told now. Oh, Larry's in here, so he needs to hear this. This is important. <laughs> Lou's like, wake up, wake up. <laughs> Worst thing ever done in human history in the last 200 years was colonialism. That was our grand sin. You know, uh, European colonialism, the, the raping of, of Africa's uh, natural resources, the, the conquering by the British of India. And look, did some European nations do some bad things to some people? Well, yes, because bad people do bad things to bad people in bad ways, right? We can acknowledge that. Do you know one of the first things the British did, though, once they got control of India? They got rid of widow immolation. You're going, they got rid of what? Well, it was, this was an Indian practice. When your husband died, as, as his widow, what good are you? So we're going to have his funeral pyre on the river. So we build this pyre. We put, you, put him on the raft. And, well, since we got no use for you, hop on, honey. You get on the raft, too. We push you out into the river, and we light it on fire. The Christian British showed up and went, that's not good. <laughs> to which everybody went, yeah, we understand that. No, no, no. Pagan culture does not understand that. Pagan culture does not look at that and go, I don't see what the problem is. She's not of any use to society. Okay. Because what? No concept of Imago Dei. No concept of God created the male and female. No concept of a life lived to the glory of God beyond just what you provide to the village. No concept of caring for elders. No concept of raising children. Early Christians in the Roman Empire, you know one of the first ministries they came up with? They dealt with what was known as exposure. If you had a kid and there was a birth defect, or you had a kid and there was like, look, we got eight of these at home. We have not got room for another one. You would take the child, walk outside the village, find a nice little rock to put them on, and just, bye. Like an old joke where you drive the cat out that you don't want into the wilderness and you know, let him out the car door. They would do this with babies. So what did Christians do? They went and stood out in the fields where they would do this and wait for people to drop the kid off, wait for him to leave, and be like, we got this one. They would take the kid and go home. Well, we already got 12 of them at home. I don't care. That's a child made in the image of God, deserving of love and care and discipleship. Therefore, we do what? The rising tide of the Christian worldview raises all boats. When you remove the tide of Christian thinking, you remove the sufficient provision of God, you remove the understanding of sufficient provision of God in the rest of the world. This is why our capitalism is broken. In a capitalist system, what's, what's supposed to happen? As the business makes more money, the employees who are working their tails off to produce for that business should do what? They should make more money because they're doing work. Well, no. In a greedy, fleshly system, the, the, the business owner says what? I'm in the money, I'm in the money. You're Scrooge McDuck swimming in your gold pile in your vault. And if you don't get that reference, you should watch better 90s cartoons. I mean, that's what's lost. You got that one. John is like, hey. That's why it's broken. So what do you end up with? Do we turn to godliness? Hey, treat your employees fairly. No, we turn to more godlessness and go, fine, we'll just give everybody everything. It's a brokenness. If you want to understand the worldview of society that you're seeing, understand the lack of understanding of God's sufficiency, both in word, provision, and grace upon this place. When you see that, you see the lack of gospel thinking, you see the, the desire for sinfulness, and you see the corruption of every single one of our world systems, be it economic, 
be it social, be it political, be it familial, whatever it may be, it is a lack of understanding of sufficiency that God has provided. Let's continue. 27, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. I'm going to quote Exodus 32, 9 again. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. (laughs) That was true then. (laughs) It's true now. And as long as this place keeps on turning, it's going to be true of human beings. The Lord said to Moses, 28, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? I know this one. Until the end of time. Now, because that is true, what do they deserve? Because that is true, what do we deserve? Because that is true, what does every human being deserve? Again, quote your bad 70s music, fire. There you go. Sorry, I'm not a drummer. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what do they get, though? Exodus 34, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed. I love this because Moses wants to see the glory of God. So this is God passing before Moses and declaring himself. What would you lead with? The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's a pretty good lead-in right there. And Moses isn't sitting in the rock going, are you sure? Because you know what Moses has lived through? This. Moses is like, yep, yep, gracious, compassionate, yep, forgiving, yep, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But there's comfort too. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. We've covered how that works again in the past. We'll probably cover it again, so we're not going to dive into that right now. But recognize, so God is gracious and loving and forgiving, but he's also just and he'll punish sin. So how do we get that demarcation line in between that? I want to be on the gracious and loving side. How about you? Yeah, I, I want to sit there. It was true then. It's true now. First John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You mean there's a provision? Yeah. Because 1 John is written after Christ. 1 John is written after the Gospels. 1 John is written after the explanations in Paul. 1 John is written after the explanation and exhortation of the people, of the provision that God has made for our sin, that if we turn from our sins and trust in him, there is a sacrifice that has paid for our sins now and forevermore. Amen. And we can walk differently because in him we are empowered and we are different. And Christian, this becomes your motivation because if it was true then, and if it's true now, guess what it's going to be tomorrow? And so I can walk faithfully. This is why Peter can tell you, do not let this one fact escape your notice. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, that's an encouragement to you, because you know what the preceding section is? The people are mocking. They're saying, well, where is he? Since the beginning, everything's continued on. And what's the warning? Well, you know, there was this flood thing. And you know, the day that the waters came, you know what people were doing? They were going to parties. They were getting married. They were celebrating. And then the rains came. And where were they? 
And in Sodom and Gomorrah, the day before the angel showed up in town, what was everybody doing that day? Same thing they did every other day. And what happened? What's the exhortation from Peter? Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. God is not mocked. So it didn't happen today. You know what tomorrow is? It's another day, which means the kingdom is not complete. God is not done showing his grace. But no, that just like the example of the flood shows you, just like the example of Sodom and Gomorrah shows you, just like the example on Nebuchadnezzar, just like the example on David when he takes a census, just like the example of that farmer in Jesus' parable, there is a judgment coming for those who do not trust in him. It is. And so even though it didn't come today, that doesn't mean it's not coming. It is there. But it didn't come today, so what do we do? We walk faithfully. We proclaim. We disciple. We encourage. We strengthen. We trust. We walk. So, 29. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. It's almost like a math equation. Two trains, we're leaving them. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You almost feel like they're children at this point, don't you? Like, look, God gave you double on Friday so that you don't need it on Saturday. So when Saturday gets here, you can stay home. Okay? All right. Good job. You pat him on the head. This is how you talk to children. Like, like let me ask the wives this one. Like, when your husband comes in, you'd be like, I went to the bathroom. You're like, oh, good job, honey. Awesome. And you're like, no, because typically he doesn't have a problem with that. When the two-year-old comes in and tells you that, how do you act? Yay! Yeah, there's a song and a dance and a celebration, and we get the cookies off the shelf. It's a great day. I mean, just like, just like if I come home, I don't come home from work and be like, hey, Cameron, guess what? I didn't stop by a brothel on the way home from work. She doesn't go, oh, that's so good, honey. I'm so proud of you, because I'm not supposed to. Now, if I have struggled with that in the past, that would be cause for celebration, wouldn't it? It's, it's, you know, that's what we do with addicts, right? When, when someone's an alcoholic, they go, I didn't go to the liquor store today. Good team. Go, go. Good job. Every day. Each day, right? One right after the other. That's how we have to treat Israel right now. Why? Because they are a broken people trying to live with a holy God. Welcome to the world around you. It is full of broken people trying to live for their broken flesh. And we're trying to explain to them that, hey, there's actually a better way. You know how we have to take that? Which, again, is an encouragement, because you know how you should be living your life anyway? That's why we have the phrase, there before the grace of God, go I. Because we look at other people sit and go. That's why you joke when I talk about I didn't stop at a brothel. You're like, people struggle with that. And you're just like, how? I don't know, but they do. Which means that's the cross that God has given them to bear. Trust me, i got plenty of my own, and you got plenty of your own. <laughs> Unless you're Jonathan, right? <laughs> Even Jonathan. <laughs> no, no, we're not going down that road right now. <sighs> so what do we do? We walk ourselves each day at a time. How do we walk? Trusting, knowing what? That the judgment is coming, but I have the grace of God, so I walk. When? Right now. I can't worry about how I'm going to walk on Tuesday. I walk now because then if I do that, you know what's going to happen when I get to the trouble on Tuesday? I'm good because I'm looking at the next thing. So this wraps up. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. I love that name because do you know what the name manna means? Manna literally means, what is it? <laughs> 
I love, because Israel saw it on the ground and went, what is it? So, so the, for the end of time, they're like, hey, go get me the jar of what is it? <laughs> That's just awesome to me. I love it. Should have renamed my kids, given them better names. Should have named one of them Manna. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> there are days. Now, what's the answer to what is it? We talked about this. This is good stuff, right? And it's good stuff how? In abundance, because God has provided for his people. Now, Moses said, rapid fire here, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer full of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. All right, I have a question. How does that help? Who's going to see that? God is. It's, it's, it's in the tabernacle. It's before the throne. Aaron's going in there once a year. One dude is going in there once a year until the temple is no more. This is not there so that the people will be like, hey, look, there's that manna stuff. What is that? It's exactly. It's, it's what is it? I mean, how does this help the people with the remembrance? And the answer is it doesn't. But what are they told to do with it? We took a jar. We put it before in the tabernacle. We placed it before the Lord. And then we wrote it down so that you would do what? Now you'll know. Is seeing always believing? No. And we can prove it. Israel has seen what? <laughs> oh my goodness. They have seen, they've literally seen God come down in fire and in cloud and walk amongst them and turn the sea you know, apart and turn the river to blood and bring the hail and kill the cattle and wipe out the Egyptians. They've seen all of it, and yet God comes down, you know, this day you will know that the Lord has delivered you from Egypt. And you're like, oh my goodness, how do they not know? Because they've seen and they have not yet believed. Hebrews 9, or I'm sorry, not Hebrews 9, Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. Now remember this. I have enough time. The world will twist your definition of faith if you let it. And they will tell you, of course you have faith. You believe that there's a God. That's not faith. That's the duh of creation. Okay? It is not faith to sit there and say, I believe a God exists. No, that's just obvious. It's literally one of the rules of physics is that life does not come from non-life. Life comes from life, which means if life is here, it came from something else that was alive. But at some point, life had to arise, which means someone had to put it there. Biogenesis, that's why modern uh, evolutionary thought teaches a biogenesis, which is just literally nonsense. It's literally nonsense, I'm sorry, but it is. So it is just obvious that you look out upon this place and realize that it's too perfect, it's too ordered, it's too sensical, it comes from someplace. That's easy. That's not the object of your faith. The object of your faith is that God, that he has promised, that he has done, that he is working, that he is walking that he is strengthening, that he is fulfilling. My promise is not that, you know, one day I'm going to get there and there's going to be somebody. No, the promise is one day I'm going to get there and there is going to be everything that his sufficient word has told me will be there. And it will be as he has described and I will get there the way that he has told me I will get there. That is faith. That is why this is stuck there. It's not stuck on a pedestal so the people be like, oh, look, there's the manna. And every day they walk by and they look at the manna you know how quickly that would have turned into an idol? 
you'll actually see this if you have some fun and read through the kingdom years of Israel. I believe it's Josiah. Oh, I better not nail that down too hard because it just popped into my head. I think it's Josiah. Read Kings and Chronicles. It will do you good. (laughs) He actually has to destroy the bronze serpent. Remember the bronze serpent that Moses puts up on the staff? He has to destroy it. Why? Because Israel went in, took it out of the temple, and set it up as an idol. I mean, it's a reminder of the grace of God that snakes are biting you, and how am I healed? I look at the snake. How does that work? It doesn't, but God's going to make it work. The Israelites saw that snake and be like, ooh, bronze serpent stick. Let's march around it and dance and sing songs. And and so Josiah's got to destroy it because the Israelites are being led astray by it. This amazing, marvelous thing has got to be destroyed. This is why it's putting the tabernacle out of their sight. Because it's not about the manna. It's about remembering that we have set aside something because God has done this. It's a memorial. Again, they're going to erect memorials all over Israel so that when your kids go, why are that pile of rocks over there, Dad? Ah, that's where God did this, or that's where God did that, or that's where this. Why is there man in the tabernacle? Dad, I want to see it. No, son, you don't want to see it. You don't need to see it. God fed our people. God provided for them according to their needs. God provides according to our needs each and every day. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will, he will supply according to our needs until the day you enter into his kingdom. And son, if you trust him, you will enter into his grace and his kingdom, and he will give you all that he has promised. That's why it's put in the tabernacle before God. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to pull something there. 35. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Notice the provision there. The wilderness. What is there to eat in the wilderness? (laughs) I mean, unless you're like one of those weird survival shows where you're like, ooh, this is, you know, elephant moss, and if we boil it, it's tea. Or if you're Bear Grylls and you're drinking your own urine or something. That's a thing on one of those shows. It is. He's like, oh, it's been three days without finding any water, and the cameraman's like, I don't want to watch this again. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. They're in the wilderness. There's nothing there, so God gives them the manna. The minute they exit the wilderness and enter into the land of Canaan, what happens? Manna's gone. Why? Because God's provision is met, no longer in the miraculous manna, but in the miraculous giving of this land. Hebrews, we'll go back to it, because Hebrews quotes Deuteronomy for us. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's a quote of Deuteronomy. That's what Moses told the Israelites before they went into the land. Hebrews mentions money. It's not just about money. It's about everything in this world. It's a lack of trust in the sufficient provision of God. It's the desire for more. It is the desire for all the things that the world has promised. Christian, that's not where we walk. We don't walk after all the things that the world has promised. We are supposed to walk after all the things that God has promised. That's why 1 Peter tells you this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It was true then, it's true now. The call is to walk faithfully, trusting in what God has told us, trusting in what he has given to us, trusting in what he has promised to us. And again, it's difficult in this world. 
This is why I remind you all the time, you cannot do this in your own power. You, you can't. You'll try. You'll fail. This requires the grace of God. This requires the sacrifice of Christ. This requires the strengthening of the Spirit. That requires you to be plugged in each and every day. You can't get up one day and be like, you know what, God? I got this one. I got this one. You go take a nap. I'm going to work. No, that's not resting in him. That's resting in you. I've talked about this before. This is why we get old. I joke all the time. You know, if getting old was fun, everybody would do it. <laughs> because what's the joys of getting old? Stuff hurts that you didn't even know was possible to hurt. You wake up one day and be like, I didn't hurt yesterday. I, I hurt myself sleeping. I did that one day when I was like 33 and realized, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I can now hurt myself sleeping. <sighs> I got to jog more. <laughs> Again, I didn't wear these until May of 2014. I had 2010 vision as a kid. Now I take them off and you're all blurry. Jonathan's not, which, ugh, of all the people, right? <laughs> yeah, everything's blurry. I can read it if I do this number, and if I get squinted hard enough, I can make sense of it. So yeah, one day I woke up and I'm like, everything is starting to get a little odd. And I realized it, and I put the glass on. I spent an entire day doing this number. I'm like, oh, man. I didn't realize how bad my eyes had gotten. <laughs> Did that all day. That's a blessing and a mercy from God. Your back hurting, your hip going out, your knee being twisted, your hands aching are blessings from God because they are reminders that this place is not where we rest, but we rest in him. And we walk faithfully each and every day until he provides the rest that he has promised, which is because of the work of Christ, secure in the kingdom that he has built. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the lessons that you have taught in Scripture, for the warnings that you have provided and the blessings that you have promised. We ask, Lord, that your grace would cover, that by the mercy that you have given in Christ, that your Spirit would strengthen us, that we would walk faithfully as your people, walking towards your kingdom, which you have promised. Lord, let us never, let us never waver, let us never forget, and let us keep the faith to the very end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. All right. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice 
This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Quick reminders, uh, lunch next week, business meeting today, get this all out of order. Uh, Good Friday service on the 2nd, 7 o'clock. It's in your bulletin. Read your bulletin. It will do you well. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that you'd strengthen us, that you would guard us and keep us safe, that we would pers- that we would persevere until the end that you have destined, that we would be faithful people following after your kingdom as the Savior is preserved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.